You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is written by rural leaders and for rural leaders. We know that there's a lot of content out there, but we really want to bring you some stuff that does not just speak to your context, but is being spoken by people who are from your context. And so if you find yourself doing God's work in a small place, whether you are a volunteer or a minister or you taught Sunday school one time, we are just excited that you're tuning in today. We're excited to equip you with the uh, tools and conversations you need to feel more empowered to do ministry where God's called you to work. I am your host, Joe Epley. And today we are in the middle of a conversation about discipleship in the rural church and what it looks like to help people go from point A to point B. How do we as leaders um, help our churches and our people get the mindset that's going to connect people to the gospel, connect people to the local church? And uh, otherwise, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, empower the work of God in a local rural community. So to that end, I am excited today because we are going to be talking to Steve Donaldson. And if you don't know who he is, you're about to. But for now, I'll just say, hi, Steve. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Joe, for letting me be part of this today. Absolutely. We are so excited to hear about you and your journey. For those of you who have never heard the word rural compassion or don't know the kind of work Steve does, you're going to get acquainted with it a little bit, and then we are going to dive into some of the life lessons that God has shown him through his ministry uh, you know, spot and through what God's called him to do. And so diving right into that, Steve, I definitely want to maybe hear about your background with the rural church, you know, kind of your journey with rural compassion as an organization and, and, uh, of course, your other background with the rural church. And I always love this question, why you value the rural church, because that's what this podcast is all about. So, man, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I'll start off with, uh, I'll tell you, I've been kind of a church carny, been in the around the church my whole life. And I am just blown away by the rural pastors that I get to work with and that I've met, just their sacrifice, their authentic ministry. It is such a privilege to work with the, the rural pastor. And it's really not where I thought I would end up. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I always thought I would end up doing compassion work in San Francisco. As God would have it, a um, program called the Decade of Harvest, um, I ended up planting a church where the Sierras meet the Cascades, and I uh, moved up into the mountain. You know, so it was, wow, it, it was eye-opening for someone who had grown up in the city and when I got up there, I was blown away by the quality of people in a good way, but also amazed at the amount of need and the lack of resources and really saw that it was a wonderful opportunity for the church if we got beyond the walls of our building and you know got out where the people were at and you know that we could really make a difference in our community as a whole. So that's what we did. And it, the DNA of the rural town just got in my heart. Joe is crazy because, you know, at the beginning, uh, I'm trying to fit in. Okay. I'm trying to be like, I'm, you know, kind of one of the guys that I've been there all my whole life. So I decided to go hunting and that's not really something I grew up doing. And so I didn't know you had to sight in a rifle, but I go to sight it in and I pulled the trigger and I could just feel a drip coming down my forehead and that scope hit me in the forehead. And, you know, for the next six months, I had a half 
you know, circle on my, my forehead. And then uh, God le- just supernaturally allowed me to lead a cowboy boss into faith in Christ. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go on a roundup with him. And I learned why cowboys wear tight jeans. Man, I was so raw. It was just insane. That is the most rural set of experiences right there. Like, like someone's trying to jump into the culture. Gosh, carry on. But man, that is hilarious. Yeah. So they knew I was a flatlander. They knew I wasn't one of them, but I loved them. A dear, deep love God had put in my heart. And it was crazy in planting the church. We started out, we wanted to be innovative. So like we, we did a basketball camp before our launch Sunday and one of the kids went up and dunked it, ripped the backboard down. And the next day, our first Sunday, the offering was $63. And it cost us over $300 to fix, fix the backboard. But what we did to get started is I had a friend who's a horse whisperer type guy. And we went through this whole valley. And we would he would bring colts with him. And he would just show how to train a colt. And it was amazing. And people would come from all over to learn about how to work with a horse. And we would teach then on the difference of a volition of a human versus an animal and really gave us some incredible favor. Then we did free oil changes for, you know, like the elderly and for single parents. And that was really good. It was crazy though, Joe, at the beginning, we didn't have a lot of money. So we promoted through this whole valley about these free oil changes and, um, and nobody came. The truth was, we were going to do it, but we didn't really have the money to do it. But it gave us favor in the community because they knew we were there to just help in practical ways. And then through the years, we were able to do a lot more um, that. Absolutely. And, and what a cool start to your story. I mean, I definitely also come from, uh, I mean, maybe in Montana terms, it's big, probably not quite San Francisco, uh, <laughs> but I came from Billings, Montana, um, which is our largest city. And then I moved to Baker, a town of 1200. And it's just like you're saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a hunter and fisher just by nature and conversations about cars and guns and, and ranches and agriculture. And I just felt at a loss, but it is amazing how God, you know, builds that love for rural places into our hearts. Man, I want to dive a little bit into your work with Rural Compassion, because for those who don't know, for our listeners, um, from what I understand, you, I mean, you helped found, you are one of the founders of Rural Compassion, correct? Yeah, just to give you a a quick story, in 1969, our dad was uh, killed in an accident, our mom severely injured when we lived in the Bay Area. A family took us in, the Davises took us into their mobile home, 10 by 50, and really out of that love from the Davises and the church as a whole, just coming around us um, was the genesis for the beginning of Convoy of Hope and Rural Compassion. It just showed us the difference that the church can make during difficult times. We're still just so grateful to the Davis family. I mean, they really took a very difficult situation and let us know that uh, God wants people of faith to be people that are looking for opportunities to serve, even when it's uh, quite inconvenient. Yeah. And uh, specifically, let's dive into the vision of Rural Compassion, because obviously, and I forgot about Convoy of Hope entirely in terms of your involvement in it. But if people don't know who are listening, Convoy of Hope is an organization that does disaster relief all around the world. And they typically, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but they typically are are first in and last out of some of these 
uh, disaster areas around the world doing absolutely wonderful with both spiritual relief and physical relief and just meeting the needs of people uh, in powerful ways. Am I right? Yeah. And really, they're, I mean, they feed a lot of kids throughout the world every day. They're involved in, you know, women's empowerment, agriculture, a lot of different initiatives. And, you know, and so I, I was at the beginning of that, you know, myself and my brother, Hal, my brother, Dave. 18 years ago, is it was really a, a wild thing. I, I was actually leading the international initiative. I had read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And I, I was seeking God and just direction. And uh, Jim Collins teaches, find one thing to do and do it the best you can. And I, um, I really felt God impressed on me to, to do the real compassion effort and to do it 100%, to not be involved in anything else. So the last 18 or 19 years, the only thing that I've been with, and we have a team of missionaries, is to serve the rural church and help the rural church get involved in their community. And we, you know, I found this when I pioneered the church and pastored. It was super important. I, I have a giant heart for the poor. Uh, God put that in me. But the church wouldn't be sustainable if we only reach the poor. And we really want to reach every single person in our valley. And so in that, we learn to you know, connect with the fire chief, the police chief. We were very involved in the school system. We want to be involved with the community leaders, and we want to link arms together to address the needs of the poor, the elderly, and the disabled. And we found as we linked arms with the leaders, we were, it was, Joe, it was incredible how many leaders that we were able to lead into faith in Jesus Christ. There, there's something about that commonality of serving. And I, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this have worked with the poor, but there's something about it where God shows up in a unique way. And you're linking arms with someone who might not be a person of faith. And the next thing they're like, wow, this compassion, this, you know, I, I want to be around a God that cares for people like this. So, I mean, really, that's what we try to get the rural church to do. And we have seen some incredible um, fruit. Our theme scripture is John 15, 16. It says it's followers of Christ that will have fruit in our lives but it defines that fruit as fruit that remains. You know, Joe, we're talking about discipleship, okay? And, and discipleship is fruit that remains. Um, we we kind of come from a basis of a, what's called the Ingle scale. And the Ingle scale really helped me get my arms around this perspective. And that is that discipleship starts when I meet somebody, even if they're not a person of faith and I get to know their name. It's on this whole spectrum of a process that God leads people to the cross. And then, you know, once they commit their life to Christ, then obviously there's some other areas of growth that, you know, they need to start understanding the word of God, understand how the word of God's put together, understand, you know, their role in relationship to Christ and, you know, some of the great teachings of scripture. You know, working with the poor, I've studied community development a lot. I have a real passion for what are best practices in community development and addressing the needs of the poor. There's a little thing, uh, the result of sin is the devaluation of humanity. So if that's a true statement, then the church needs to be a spiritually based social architect. And so when we talk about discipleship, 
let, let's go a little bit broader. Now, it's not just them becoming a Sunday school teacher or becoming an usher in the church. It's them taking their gifts and a lot of times maybe even their professional gifts and helping to rebuild someone's life. Because a lot of times sin comes in, it breaks up family structures, people move into addictions, and it takes the incredible brain that God's created for someone, and those drugs start to kill brain cells. There's uh, abuse, all sorts of different things that we could put under this umbrella of the result of sin. And, And I think we're seeing a great move of this, where the church is becoming a lot more holistic in their understanding of discipleship. So I would start one, is when I meet the fire chief, that's part of my beginning of discipling. But I also know that as people come into faith, and a lot of them come in with a lot of baggage, that I want them to become as whole of a person as they possibly can. And I shouldn't say I want them to, that's what Christ wants. And, and we want to be part of that journey. Yeah. And honestly, uh, you know, what a what a vision, because when you speak of real compassion, I don't hear, well, here's this guy who helped found this organization. What I hear a lot of is here's a way of seeing the world, of ministering, of discipling that begins with engaging the community in real ways, in tangible ways. And results in people coming to faith. And so I'm I'm already encouraged by the conversation we've had, but I do want to touch on, you know, you and I have had a couple conversations, and I do want to touch on uh, some of the stuff that we've talked about and kind of maybe mine even more of, of your life experience for some of these awesome principles that a pastor at a local church could then go, man, that's the kind of discipleship I want to develop. Like, first of all, what a starting place, as I said, to say that Learning, I love that statement, like learning their name is the start of discipleship. It's such a powerful, very simple truth. Uh, But as I talked to you the other day, and as we talk on this podcast, there's a couple words that come to mind that I want to dive into. One uh, is the word supernatural, and the other is the word creativity, right? And and if you're listening and you're like, well, okay, what is this? You know, like, what are we doing here? Filling in a crossword puzzle? I'm like, no, but we're going to dive into this word because because I think there's a lot there. A statement that you made to me on the phone the other day was you talked about a, a lot, I guess you talked a lot about how Jesus's miracles by and large took place in the marketplace. And I really, really enjoyed uh, that perspective on that because obviously working in rural compassion, you have changed how much you value, not just a church, but the community that surrounds that church. And so Maybe elaborate on that. Maybe uh, there's a pastor tuning in and says, hey, you know, what does it look like to have, you know, supernatural moments with God in my community? How do I foster that spirit in my congregation? How do we change our viewpoint on that? Right. So maybe elaborate on that for us. You know, it's um, like I said, I've studied community development. I have a real interest in that. You know, how, how do we help people? I asset based community development. You know, how do we break the cycle of poverty? And what I've found is that the complexities of brokenness in our rural communities is so great. The the level of pain out there, Joe, is just, it's immeasurable. And I really come to a, came to a place where I really, I mean, um, when I say deep in my heart, believe that without a supernatural work, we're going to really limit And really, in many ways, a lot of what we do will not be very effective. We might have good anecdotal stories, but 
it takes a supernatural touch. And so I've really gotten into every morning, Joe, I start out, I sit in the same chair and I, I've just tried to learn to listen to God just to be quiet. And I'm ADD. So when, when I started, 30 seconds was the max, but over time I, I've learned to do that. But I know, you know, the Bible says that Christ sheep hear and know his voice. Well, I want to know his voice and I want to contend for the supernatural. I want to believe that God wants to do miracles wherever I go. Over 90% of Christ's works of miracles happen in the marketplace. And so I do that quiet time. I do some time where I read scripture and then I pray for a whole group of needs. But at the core of that is just believing that God wants to do supernatural and to be honest, for 18 years, I prayed that God would bring supernatural works to our small towns. But I really elevated that over the last two years, I, where I, I fast on a regular basis. As I work with pastors, I just encourage them. A lot of times they know how to teach the scripture, and they can teach it in a way where people would think they believe in the supernatural. But there's something inside of them where their belief and their you know, kind of knowing that God wants to do that on their behalf in their community, they kind of get where they start doubting that. And I really believe we need to get back to where that is really of utmost importance, that we are really contending, we're fasting, we're taking time to listen to God, we're studying the scriptures, we're reading through the book of Acts. You know, allow those to build up faith in you. And we're seeing God really start to do something uh, really good. I also, I, I grew up in an environment where sometimes the supernatural always had to be extreme. And I, I kind of wonder, Joe, if it's not all right for the supernatural works to be culturally relevant and to be a little bit seeker friendly. And I'm not, you know, I say seeker friendly, I'm not saying water it down. I mean, if I quench the Holy Spirit, I'm going to limit the supernatural work. So I'm not saying watering it down. I'm just saying, if I was praying for you, Joe, I'm just going to say, hey, my friend Joe, he's got a situation. And, you know, God, could you you help my friend Joe? You know, my, my oldest son's named Josh. And if Josh came to me and he goes, oh, dad, you're the best dad. You're just so incredible. You're amazing. And he said, hey, can I borrow your car for two weeks? He wouldn't do that. He would just come to me and said, Dad, I ran into a situation. I need a car. And who has a better understanding of the full scope of life than God? I really, really believe that we need to elevate one. You know, and it's not, you know, we know Jesus put mud in the eyes. We know there were some things that happened that were a little out of the ordinary. But I also believe that God can just work through a more natural and something that's a little more culturally um, sensitive. Our own stories have a giant impact on the way we see theology, but it's essential that our theology lines up with the Word of God. The Word of God's our foundation. So when my dad died, after that, immediately I handled it actually rather well, but then I went into a deep hole, really deep. And my mom, my grandmother, you know, they're praying for me, um, people in the church trying to reach me. Man, I, I just... I was shut down at school. The teacher, Mrs. Eccles, she just let me sit in the corner. Joe, it was just so deep. 
And one day I'm riding my bike, a 10 year old boy, and I go over a jump and I land. And when I landed, I crashed. I went into the bushes and I just laid there. The greatest spiritual experience of my life. It's like God showed up in a way that made sense to Steve. And when I got up, a lot of the stuff was still the same, but Steve was different. And there was just a faith. And I just, I believe people need to experience God in a way that is personal is powerful, is transformational. And I find a lot of our world pastors, they just get worn out. They give and they give and they give, and they kind of get to where they're like really doubting God wants to show up for them. I'm just going to ask, you know, if you're a world pastor and you're listening to this, join in with me. You know, my favorite book in the Bible is Jeremiah. He was faithful his whole life, and he never once saw fruit from his obedience. But I believe we're going to see fruit, and I uh, I really believe we need to contend for the supernatural. Sorry for getting Absolutely. so excited, Joe, and so no, emotional. That is, that's fine. I mean, I would I would honestly probably kick you off the podcast if you didn't <laughs> care about what you were saying. Man, that's powerful stuff, and what a roadmap of how we take. I think sometimes we look at spiritual disciplines, like you mentioned, fasting and prayer and silence before the Lord, and we internalize them and say, "Well, what's God saying to me about my life?" But to fast and pray and to teach a congregation to fast and pray on behalf of like the community that they find themselves in to say, God, I believe your outward purposes are what's at work here. And we want to see, because let's be honest, small towns for better or for worse are places that are attached to the word stubbornness. And you see a lot of situations where rural pastors just throw up their hands and they go, well, I, I can't, I can't move this mountain. And of course, what can move that mountain. And so, you know, that's a, that's a great roadmap for how a pastor can take this into not only our own life, but into a congregation's life as well. Well, I want to be conscious of our time oh, and I great. want to continue for our second word here. Cause obviously, man, we could talk about uh, even just, even just that was, was awesome, but, but let's talk about creativity, right? Another thing I know about small towns is obviously resources sometimes get tight, right? Yeah. Um, I have not yet met a rural pastor who said, man, I've always had enough money in the church to do exactly what we needed to do and wanted to do. Like resources sometimes are tight. And so rural compassion is also kind of about creativity. It's about handing the church something and saying, okay, what is God? What's already there? You know, what's in your hands? What can you do? And so maybe talk about some of the lessons you've learned and in a way that maybe helps a rural pastor who's tuning in to say, yeah, I could, I could maybe, you know, pass on this mindset to my church. I could grow in this, you know, so let's look at that. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing we know is that the source of all creativity is our God. You know, as we get to know God, God gives us ideas, but we also learn ideas from each other. And we know at the center of this, Joe, that ministry happens at the speed of relationship. So if I'm just creative and innovative, but I'm not doing it in a manner that builds relationships, I'm really missing out. And, you know, so we used to, and we still do provide backpacks for uh, rural pastors and churches that they can use in their school system, you know, to give school supplies or to help with foster kids or to help with, you know, weekend lunches. Sometimes kids don't, you know, the only food they're going to get for the weekend is what goes home in that. And we would have churches take it, drop it off of the school office and then just say, hey, this is from our church. And that was fine. But 
we've found that there's ways to use like those packs to build more relationships. We want, because back to the supernatural, when I get into the presence of that principal and that teacher, et cetera, et cetera, I am carrying in the full presence of God. And that quiet time in the morning might translate to me praying for that teacher who's going through a divorce or maybe going through cancer treatment. See, God wants to show up out there in natural ways. I go to the breakfast place, you know, just this isn't that creative, but if you're not an early morning person and all the stakeholders and the farmers are eating breakfast at 530, you better start becoming a morning person because you need to get there and start building relationships. Ken Anderson, that'll be one of the other podcasts coming up, but he probably talked about hero days. We have Bibles for firefighters, law enforcement, EMS, and put their name and badge number. You can buy them from CBD or Rural Compassion's willing to send you some Bibles. But if you're just given a Bible without a goal of building the relationship, and it's the ideal thing of a small community. There's so many, I go to the football game, I go to the basketball game, I go to whatever it might be that's, you know, the parade in our town, and I am looking to build relationships. I think it's almost impossible to pastor in a small town unless you choose to be relational. My, my natural personality is to be shy, but I've learned that part of the calling as a pastor and as a minister, I have to get beyond that. You know, that's part of the boldness of the Holy Spirit is helping me, you know, sometimes step out of my normal personality so that I can build relationships with the goal. Now, my goal is authentically to build friendships. But I know along that path that, you know, God's going to give me a chance to hopefully share faith and bring people into faith and pray for the sick, pray for the blind, you know, and, and see God do some incredible things. Absolutely. And I really love, you know, I, I think of creativity in terms of natural resources, but you're also talking about relational creativity. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of the idea of like, hey, if, if someone in your community needs to be connected to a certain way, how are you going to stretch to be creative, to find a way to meet that relational connection? And then from there, it's really about what you have in your hands. You know, I mean, you, backpacks are not revolutionary, right? They are not, no, you know, you're not coming up with that idea out of nowhere. And yet, and yet through something so common, God is creating these awesome opportunities, man. Well, we don't have a ton of time left, but I just want to uh, take a second. And one, I want to say thank you. Uh, I really believe that the uh, the information and, and the passion that you've shared today uh, is really encouraging to me as a rural pastor. I had to hesitate as we're recording this podcast to not just start taking notes because I was like, man, this is good stuff. Luckily, I think I can listen to it later. But <laughs> I do know that uh, for the pastors listening, I hope you've been blessed because uh, Steve, this is just some awesome information. And this is definitely, um, if we if we look at it the right way, I think it could really encourage ministry to go forward in a way that is just, uh, yeah, just filled with the presence of God and brings a lot of life, rural communities and also to rural pastors. And so, yeah, I just want to say thank you again, man. I appreciate it a ton. Oh, thank you for letting me just be part. Can I tell one quick story to end? Carry a toothbrush with me to remind me of a little girl. Our team had brought some supplies into their home, five children. And our team member hands a toothbrush to this little girl. 
she runs into the bathroom and comes out with a toothbrush where the bristles are totally worn off. All five kids is sharing the same toothbrush. I carry this toothbrush with me all the time to remind me that things I take for granted, a lot of people do not have that privilege. And that's not just toothbrushes, it's peace in my heart, it's lack of chaos, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just challenge you, Pastor, get a toothbrush, put it on your desk, carry it in your pocket, get your congregation carrying it as well. Joe, thank you for Rural Advancement. Thank you for just all the great work that Rural Advancement does. God bless. Awesome. And thank you for being on today. And thank you for tuning in to Rural Advancement. We'll see you next week. 